Hey, it's your host Omar, and welcome to The Curiosity Project. In today's episode on Conversations With, I'll be talking to my friend, Jimmy McGee of Hunters and Franco. We will be discussing who Hunters and Franco are, how Cuban cigars are made, what the EMS stamp means, and the different sizes and shapes of cigars. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Morning, Jimmy. How are you doing? Morning, Omar. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. You know, it's it's truly, truly a pleasure. I was I was I was already saying this to you before as we were just catching up before we started recording. I'm I'm really, really excited that you've decided to come on the show. So truly, thank you so much. Um, I'm very, very excited to do this one. No, no, my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me along. No, um, no, the pleasure's mine. And I, th- I, I think okay. it's well, I th- judged by the end of the podcast. Is, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but I, th- I think it's it was it was really funny. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to start off by just telling a really quick story about how you and I got in contact. So. And I'll let you do a full introduction of yourself, but uh, you are a fairly special man in the UK cigar scene um, in that you work for a very particular company called Hunters and Franco, uh, which, from what I understand, is the sole distributor of pretty much every cigar that you see uh, in UK shops. Cuban now, cigar. Cuban cigars. Now, yeah. I didn't know that. So I called you up. Uh, with regards to Calibri, because I thought you guys were the Calibri guys. We are. You are indeed, but that's not what you're known for. So it was a really funny conversation where you were like, oh, by the way, Omar, you know, uh, there's a lot of other things we can talk about. I was like, what, with Calibri? Yeah, like, Omar, who do you think we are? <laughs> Just like, I was like, you're the Calibri guys, aren't you? And you're like, no, 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 no. We're, hang on. Uh, listen, I'm in a rush. I'll call you tomorrow. We'll have a proper chat, you know, and uh, <laughs> that's well, that's how it started make friends in lots of different ways so absolutely yes that's right i think you have had eddie on your show eddie Sarkin from the, from the fantastic david of st james's and i think during that kind of introduction to cigars he mentioned some calibri products so you had a response from your listenership and as any good journalist would you did a bit of research and turned up on my phone which is great Absolutely, you know, because we are we are very very proud to be the, the the distributor for all the smoking accessories for Calibri as well. So always happy to talk about them, but it's unusual that people specifically want to talk to us about that. Where we do have this um, very privileged position within the UK cigar market because of our relationship with Cuba. Yeah. Indeed, indeed, and and maybe you could take that opportunity then, uh, Jimmy, to maybe give my audience an introduction on on who you are and 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 what what is this company that is that you represent yeah. and work for. So uh, my name's Jimmy McGee. Uh, my job title is head of communications and training for a company called Hans and Frankow. Hans and Frankow are a two hundred thirty one year old company, still family run. And we have, since 1990, had the exclusive importation and distribution rights of all of the Havana cigar brands. So some that you'd be quite familiar with, or some people even that aren't really cigar people would know, like Roman Giulietta, Cohiba, Monte Cristo, but also some of the ones that maybe you'd have to be a little bit more, you'd have to do a bit of research to find. Rafael Gonzalez, San Cristobal de la Habana, Ramon Alonis, some brilliant, brilliant cigar brands, but maybe slightly less well-known. So we look after the entire portfolio of Cuban cigars. 
And that was a decision that the Cubans made in 1988. So then after a couple of years of negotiation, we took over that. Before then, we were just one of four or five importers and distributors. Yeah. So that's us in a nutshell. Mm. Extraordinary. And I, I, I wonder, Jimmy, when it when it comes to the kind of Cuban world, when it, uh, uh, if I could call it maybe the Habanos portfolio um, of these brands that you mentioned, you know, the Cahibas, the Monte Cristos, the Romeo Giulietas. Um, wh- why is it that there is because I, I don't think a lot of people realize that there is just one company that owns all of the brands and you've got this one company in the UK that's supplying all of the all of the retailers yeah. uh, i wonder do you think you could maybe just tell me a little bit more about the history of of habanos and a little bit of the history of hunters and Frankau and and how that relationship kind of works well i mean i think that the um the simplest way to describe it is most people know that cuba is a uh, a socialist or communist country and that's from the revolution of 1959 when fidel castro took over from batista and over the period of time, a lot of uh, industry was nationalized and brought into government control. And um, part of that meant that um, it made no... It, I mean, if you work in a bar, you'll know that all the gin guys come in and argue with each other about who should have the speed rail and who should have the back bar. And, and we were no different up until 1990. The difference being that all of that money regardless of what cigar brand was being sold, was going back to the same company in Cuba. And so Cuba decided um, that they wanted one company in each region or country around the world to look after their entire portfolio because there is only one company producing these cigars. It's a company okay. called Taba Cuba. Then they sell their cigars to Habanos, which is um, part state-owned, but part-owned um, privately. And... Uh, they then sell their cigars to us and we sell them to the customers and oh well we sell them to our customers who then put them on the shelves and sell them so it's, it's been like that since 1990 and um yeah it's been it's been um it's been a lot of fun <laughs> I've been I can, there the whole time i could i can imagine and you know i i i wonder a, li- a little bit of the of, of obviously you know you've you've mentioned uh, a couple of key individuals um who are who are alive today which is obviously a good thing uh, people like Gemma Friedman which i believe is the managing director uh, of Hunters chairman. and Franco chairman she's a chairman the Gemma chairman. Friedman yeah i mean to talk about cigars in this country you have to really talk about three families and it's Hunters Franco and Freeman and it was Gemma's father Nicholas Freeman who brought the companies together and agreed the, the uh, exclusive distribution agreement. But the, the Freeman family go back a very long way. I think Gemma's the sixth generation of her family to be involved wow. in the cigar, cigar business in the UK. Sean Crowley, who's our sales and marketing director, he's the fourth generation of his family to be involved selling Cuban cigars in the UK. So once you get... My dad was a painter and decorator, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> There is, I mean, and I have some great stories about being a painter decorator as well, which I used to do um, in another life, it feels like. But um, I can tell you some stories, but they, they're probably not for this podcast. Maybe maybe an offline conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well, so. you know, it's, it's, it is really funny because it, it does, and I, I, I don't, the, the, the thing is, mate, is the, the, this is the only word that I can probably think of to describe this, but it seems that the cigar scene 
globally, but particularly in the UK, particularly in London, seems to have mm-hmm. this incestuous nature. It's very small. It's very tightly knit. Everyone knows each other. Everyone's very friendly, and everyone is just super, super nice. That's one thing that I've realised. You know, everyone wants to help you. Everyone wants to educate you. It's not this uh, walled garden as many people think yeah. it is. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, well, my background before being a, I mean, after being a builder and a painter, um, I, I ran self-adjusted cigar department for oh. a number of years for, for a company called James J. Fox, which, and they have their shop on 19 St. James's Street. And they're, and they're well over 200 years old as well. Um, and I used to run this department right next to the beauty hall, which was at the time the largest beauty hall in Europe, apparently. So we used to have all sorts of, you know, younger people, women coming in, people that had just come from the beauty hall with, with girls that work there. And it was never, and it was quite an open department. So we, we, we were quite good at um, uh, receiving and talking to people that were quite new to cigars, or maybe they wanted to buy a Christmas present or something like that. So I've never really experienced that, but it is something that people talk about a lot. The intimidation of walking into a cigar shop, I think is a bit like walking into uh, you know, a specialist wine shop or maybe any a, a tailor's or mm. something like that, where you're not, you don't feel like you know enough to have a conversation. And that's the, that's, I think that's a frustration for a lot of retailers that they, they are by and large cigar smokers like to have a chat because when I say to you, Omar, we should meet up for a cigar. I don't mean I'm desperately trying to get some nicotine into my bloodstream. <laughs> I say, we, we want to have a chat. We want to have a and chat. And while we do it, what, be, what better way to do it than over a cigar? So um, I think almost, I mean, I think exclusively all of the cigar shops would, would, would welcome novices coming in, asking those questions, asking those questions that people feel are a bit silly. Um, you know, it's, it's part of the fun of the, of, the, of the industry, really, is having these conversations with people that don't know a great deal, helping them, guiding them. I, when I was at Selfridges, one of the biggest satisfactions you can have is somebody that walks in as, as uh, a very novice, I smoked a cigar at a wedding last weekend and I really enjoyed it, you know, and you say, oh, what was it? And they normally say it was brown and you, you sure. kind of work from there and, and you work out a couple of cigars for them to take away. Maybe they're going to go and play poker with the friends or something mm. like that. And then they come back and then maybe they have the band of the cigar. That's what we say. Well, I used to say to people, keep the band of the cigar that you like, but now you just say, take a photograph of it because sure. everyone's got a, a camera. This is how long I've been in the trade, Omar. <laughs> yeah, send, send, send me a fax. Yes, yeah, send me a fax. <laughs> I, know, I know a good yeah. owl. Do you want to... <laughs> they, so, they can send one over to you. But then, but then that dialogue starts and then people start saying, you know, I like this, but I wanted it a bit fuller or a bit lighter or something. I've got a bit longer. It finished a bit quickly or whatever it might be. And you begin to find their flavours for them. And that's really rewarding for, for a lot of retailers in the cigar business. Uh, I yeah. wonder, Jimmy, you know, uh, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of, of what a cigar actually is and, and maybe some of, the, some of the manufacturing processes involved, uh, when you're in the retail game and someone would come up to you and say, you know, maybe they were enticed by the cigar mm-hmm. lifestyle. I know there's a lot of people who smoke cigars who don't actually like them but they want to do it and in an engaging way to engage with a particular lifestyle that they want to get into. Um, but I wonder when, when people who are enticed in that and they come to you and say, Hey, I don't, I don't really like cigars and I've had really bad experiences with them. 
How do you typically deal with those kind of people? But they maybe maybe you could tell that they want to enjoy it. Well, I that that is quite rare. I mean, I don't. I mean, if somebody isn't enjoying cigars, it's not for everybody. You know, sure. not everybody likes champagne. Not everybody likes uh, steak. Not everybody likes lying on a beach reading a book. Mm. But when you normally when you talk to that person, it's because the champagne was served flat or warm or the steak wasn't cooked the way they or they fell asleep on the beach sure. and burn burn their belly and they've got a little bookmark <laughs> on, on the side of them where they, where they've dropped the book on them. Sure. And actually normally it just takes a little bit of conversation. You say, well, okay, well, why don't you try cooking the steak for a bit less? Or why mm. don't you try chilling the champagne? Or why don't you try setting your alarm so you don't fall asleep? <laughs> and so often it's why didn't you enjoy the cigar? Mm. And it will almost inevitably end up with the cigar was in bad condition. It was the wrong blend for them. It was too big or too small a size. They smoked it on an empty stomach. They smoked it without something refreshing in their glass. And all of these things. And then you kind of work out maybe where the slight errors were in their preparation or enjoyment. And you can just tweak those. So you start with something quite light. You start with something quite small. Uh, you make sure you have something to eat. You make sure you've got something to drink in a glass. Um, alcoholic or not, doesn't matter. And you make sure that you've got time to mm. enjoy that cigar. And if they still don't like it, well, you know, they've tried, maybe they should try a pipe or maybe come back to it in a few years. Or, sure. It's, it's, it, it is not for everybody, you know, but it's, it's, it's a pleasure that I, I, I find a huge amount of satisfaction in. Yeah, I, I totally agree it, with you. Get it, you know. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and 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 I think it was it was Eddie who actually said to me he was just like you know, uh, we have we have had so many occasions where we have customers come in and they didn't enjoy a cigar they thought it was a terrible cigar, and we sample it together in the store we'll smoke it together and all of a sudden it's the best cigar they've ever had because they they smoked it on their own and mm-hmm. it was at the wrong time in the wrong place yep. and it just wasn't good for them uh, and and now it's well, at the right moment. I um this happened pre-lockdown, but not that long before. And I, I part of Hanson Franco, part of what we do um, is through supporting our our customers, we hope we will go and do masterclasses or tutor tastings. And um, it happens not that uncommonly that I was standing, I was standing, I think it was a Monte Cristo Edmundo, which is a medium full-bodied, quite a big cigar, and I do a little introduction to the cigar and answer some questions, and then. Somebody came over to me and said, do you know, I smoked a few of these. I thought they were disgusting, but this one's delicious. Interesting. And you say, okay, well, um, when do you normally smoke? This? <laughs> when did you smoke these cigars? And he said, well, I use it as a midstream cigar. Whoa. Which means that he, yeah, so he's standing in a fast-moving river, I think, up to his armpits in water with his waders, fishing, smoking a cigar. And then he's surprised that sitting down on a nice leather <laughs> sofa with a glass of cognac is a better a experience. experience. Yeah. <laughs> and you say you have to give the cigar a chance. You know, I mean, I think a cigar is only half the enjoyment of the cigar is from the cigar. And that's something that we've said for years at Hunters is a cigar is about who you're with, um, the conversations that you're having, the environment, what you're drinking, you know, um, what the occasion is, you know. And so if you're standing... Um, battling the carp or whatever it is that you go uh, into the rivers for maybe maybe your full attention isn't on that cigar maybe you will miss some of the flavors that are there because you're too busy struggling 
to land a fish. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a fisherman, so I don't really know. But yeah, neither am I, I'm to be completely out. honest. I'm running, running out of ground with that analogy, but... <laughs> Well, you know, it's 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 funny for me. Like in my in my in my circumstances, Jimmy, I cannot tell you how many mediocre cigars have become extraordinarily memorable because of the moment mm. and the time the people that I'm with. You know, yeah. um, you know, a fifteen pound or thirteen pound cigar is immediately kind of up there and and held to this weird pedestal like thing. It's like that's the best cigar I've ever had. But then you have it again, you're like, there's nothing special about this. It was just the time, it was the people, it was the conversation. Absolutely right. And I think more than that, over time, what you find is you get... Um, I do this with, with whiskies, for example. I have um, emotional attachments to certain blends mm. and certain brands because of how I was introduced to it. The and memories. It's the same with some, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same with some... Say, for example, if I go to a kind of a, a standard uh, regular boozer, um, and somebody asked me if I want something from the, the top shelf, I would have um, the Glenmorangie 10 year old because that was, um, I remember vividly being having somebody, a friend of my mother's, explaining to me what that was, how they make scotch when I was probably far sure. too young and drinking the bottle with him and learning about what whiskey, what, what scotch whiskey was. And so for me, I'll pick that over quite a lot of other brands, even though a lot of people say, oh, it's just the high street whiskey. Well, of mm. course, but it's, Given the choice, that's what I would go for. And it's the same as cigars. You know, I have I have cigars that I think very, very fondly of because, you know, I mean, to go back to the Edmundo, I smoked an Edmundo on my wedding day, you know, oh. and I always and I always have uh, a soft spot for it for that reason. And I, you know, I would always choose that over some others, you know, maybe like um, similar sort of styles, maybe more popular. Sure, um, sure, I would sure, argue sure. no better than, yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, actually. I'm going to be doing an episode soon about uh, the, the idea of being emotionally attached to certain things that maybe aren't logical attachments. Um, so, Brilliant. for example, preferring a, a lesser cigar to a better mm. cigar because of the emotional attachments. And I'm, I'm doing an episode. I'll send you a link when it's out, but I'm doing an episode with a, a, a neuroscientist. Uh, and we're essentially breaking down how the brain works and 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 why your brain convinces you things like your palate that something tastes better because of what what the hippocampus is doing, where it's reminding you about certain taste notes. It's reminding you about uh, the lighting in that particular place when you first had the cigar, the people you were with, the smell that was around you, the meal that you ate. You know, so all of those things, and it's it's amazing. Well, I think, I mean, a, a smoking cigar is really subjective and um, they are sometimes, you know, it's a seasonal product and you're talking about, you know, a, a handful of leaves harvested sometimes over the course of many years and processed, or processed is probably the treated and prepared, I think would be a better way of putting it, over many years. And you will get slight variations within the brand, but um I think it's absolutely right that they can be very. I mean, cigars are very evocative as well. I remember, I remember, I was walking. I was walking. We've got two little dogs. I was walking with my daughter and take a little cigar with me. And when we got back, um, my wife says, "How was how was the walk?" And my daughter said, "All oh, the women love the way Daddy smells." Because I, had, <laughs> I think I had three different people say to me, women and say to me, "You know, one said, oh, that reminds me of my grandfather.' Uh... Another said, oh, it smells like Christmas. I could walk behind you with that smell. You know, and it's um." It's um, like Proust Madeleine cake. I think it's a very, sure. it's very, very evocative and it really can bring back memories and, and flavors are the same, same kind of thing, I think. 
Mm. So very much so. But I can imagine your 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 little one saying to your wife that all the women like the way that daddy smoked. I don't I don't I don't, I don't know how that conversation is going to go down. <laughs> no, well it was it was. <laughs> I mean. She's um, she's bored of me by now. You know, she knows I'm coming. You know, there's only so many. There's only so many times that a, a young lady can say that you smell like a granddad before you begin to <laughs> begin to or you stop seeing it as a compliment. I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you. Yeah. So but, I don't um, think she has anything to worry on that score. But but Jimmy, the 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 thing that I I, I wanted to kind of break down with you was mm. so so you are a fairly interesting guy in the fact that you are behind one of the industry's most coveted um credentials, I guess you could call it, uh, which is the master of Habanos. Yes. Um now there are only a handful of these guys in the world. Uh, I've been uh, you know, lucky enough to meet a few of them, uh, whether mm -hmm. it's um, uh, Max at uh, at Davidoff or uh, Max, I think will be coming on the show very soon. Um, we're, oh, we're, we're going to be talking about why youngsters, why people our age are kind of getting into cigars now. Uh, mm -hmm. So that could be quite interesting. But I've, you know, I've met Max. Greg was the guy who got me into cigars. Um, I've met Halil as well. Um, on mm -hmm. a few occasions, um, not at JJ, but when he replaced Greg at Dunhill. Yeah. Um, so you know, I've been. Well, there's a there's a few masters. At, there's a few masters at Davidoff. Yes, and, yes, I think um, three. Right, I think there's three of them. Uh, put me on the spot now. Well, it's something like that. Anyway, I think anyway. I think, I think Eddie mentioned there's yeah three or four of them. Yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, it's a course that. We, I start, I developed and started about seven years ago now, maybe right. eight. Um, and it's essentially, it's the most stringent uh, exam about Cuban cigars, I think, that you'll find anywhere in the world. And the quality of the people that pass this means that in the UK, we've got a great tradition for um, service, uh, cigar service and cigar collections and presentations and some of the shops are very very old and you don't find that kind of service in a lot of other places and so one of the things that we we, we know that we're not going to be the, the the cheapest market because of the way that we're taxed and the duty that's levied on tobacco but what we can try and do is make sure that we have the best experience for smokers so part of that is the ems stamp which i know that we were talking about um before which is something that's been um, in place in Cuba for over 100 years, and it was oh. used to denote the quality of the cigars that would be destined for the UK market. I think most people accept that at that time, it was the EMS was English market selection, or AMS would be American market selection, mm. and the EMS would be the cigars coming over to us, and they would be, tend to be darker wrappers. So that tended to, that was kind of the, the beginning part of it. But now it's something that we, we get all of our cigars in um, to our bonded warehouse we have two warehouses in the uk and we every single cigar before we sell it before we send it out from our warehouse will be checked whether that's opening a tube and checking that whether it's opening the box and checking both right low uh, both rows of the cigars or if it's a bundle opening them up checking making sure everything's absolutely right with that weighing them the color the the consistency the i mean there's a there's a there's, well, Pete is the Peter is the main person in our warehouse, but we have a, a number of people that are trained for quality control. So what we like to say is we're not claiming to have better cigars than Spain or France, 
but the chance of getting a bad cigar is is lower in the UK than anywhere else in the world. That's what we try and aim for. And part of that again is the training that we give to the to the people that work in the shops. And so I had been running this um, Habanos Academy for a number of years and we began to realize that actually there was a, a, a thirst for further training or further qualifications. Lots of people from hospitality now, after the smoking ban in 2007, some of the hospitality um, uh, restaurants, bars, clubs began to bring cigars back in. And the guys there wanted to learn about cigars and wanted to learn about service. And so we provided them with this, uh, the highest certificate. And if you pass, you become a master of Havana cigars. And that's, it's a day long examination, which is wow. uh, takes part. Um, you have questions on agriculture, production and presentation, brands and specialities, uh, Vitolas. Vitolas is the shapes and size, all the different shapes and sizes that you can get. And then another one with, with things like um, legislation and the history of Cuba and things like that. And then we do a practical side where we just talk to them. We, we do, it's like an interview and then they have to cut and light and cigar and prepare a box. And if they pass, 75% pass mark. Um, if they pass, then they become masters of Havana cigars. And they are, I think every single one of them is a friend of mine, you know. Um, it's a process qualifying for this. And I'm the person who they would be the main point of contact with so i get to know these guys and i'm and i want i mean i do sit i do judge them <laughs> mm. but i want them all to pass you know i want everybody to pass that sits the exam so we become friends and i've been i've been in the business for such a long time that it's um yeah there are a lot of good friends i have and a lot of friends have become masters which is great amazing yeah. you wouldn't know jimmy what the what the pass rate is would you like how many people who sit the exam actually end up passing <laughs> Well, that does depend on if you if you count people that pull out of the last minute as failures. I do, I do, I count them as failures. They are okay. They're well, quitters. Very low. The, the pass mark, the pass mark is very low. It's kind of oh god. If you count those, it's probably around about twenty five percent something like that. Oh my god! Are I think I think real? still I think even still less than half the people that sit the exam pass it. Jesus. So it's it's, it's a, a, it's a, it's it's a, a real... Maybe it's, maybe it's about half. Yeah, it's a very difficult exam. And, um, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of the guys that are, part, that, that are studying haven't sat an exam for 10 years, you mm. know? So sometimes it's about just making them feel comfortable in the office. And we haven't held an exam since September 2019 because of ah. COVID. So... Um, I'm just, I've just sent an email out to the guys that are studying now and we're going to set something up probably early next year and just try and get through that backlog. But yeah, I think it's, I think the pass rate is probably about, for people that sit the exam, about 55, 60%, maybe a bit, maybe a bit lower even. My goodness, my goodness. Yeah, so... Yeah, so I'm, I've deliberately made it hard, Omar, so that nobody asks me what the next stage is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. But then again, listen, if you've, if you've got a title of a master of Habanos, you know, you have to be a master, right? So it has to be very, very stringent. It has to be very difficult. But I think... I, I think what's fairly interesting in this respect is to is to understand what a cigar is, you know, and I think I, th I think that that's probably easier said than 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 explained, to be completely honest. Uh, no. I was talking to a friend, I'd say about a week ago, I was uh, he's never smoked a cigar. He has smoked a few cigarettes, I think, in the past. And 
I was like, you know, I really enjoy having cigars with friends and stuff. And I, I'll be honest with you, mate, I, I plagiarized something that you said, uh, you know, and I, I pawned it off as my own genius. Mine. Um, and I, I, I oh, essentially, wow. I essentially said to him that a cigar is a leveler. It makes everyone on the same level. And I, 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 I very shamefully, I, I pawned that off yeah. as my own idea. I really apologize about that. But I felt no, great no, about it. T.S. Eliot said that good poets borrow from others and great ones steal. Right. That's brilliant. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. If It's like, um, it's a truth. And we've been talking about cigars for a long time in this country and there's always going to be overlap of opinions and, and people again talking about the same subjects for many, many years. You do find that the words get honed down sometimes into sure. phrases that lots of people use. So I wouldn't even like to claim that that's mine. To be honest. <laughs> it probably came from I'd somewhere probably, else, but I'm going to get an angry you know, phone call from, from somebody saying, yeah, exactly. you claim that as your own. So, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll... funnily enough, we have, we have this thing, we had this joke um, in the office that uh, this goes back to like the seventies, I think. That, okay. Um, one of the first pieces of literature that a general called Simon Chase, who is, he's passed away now, but he was the marketing director, Hanson Frank out, and the most knowledgeable person about cigars I've ever met, a huge help to me in me developing my knowledge and um, somebody that we miss greatly. Hmm. Um, but he produced this book about Upman, and he'd had somebody write um, something about it, and they said, you know, when you finish a cigar, you shouldn't stub it out because the smoke goes everywhere. Ah. So you should lay it in the ashtray and let it die with dignity. Right. And that phrase has become something that we use on everything um, as a kind of almost like an homage to the original. Of, so of I, well, I, a few years ago, I produced a little pocket guide to Havana cigars, mostly for the, well, it is for the trade. And uh, yeah, we insisted. We all, we all agreed that that line had to go in there. That's a brilliant line. I, I, I really like that. Just let it, let it die with dignity. That, that needs yeah, to be on a T-shirt. I mean, it's actually God. <laughs> so, um, oh gosh! So yeah, don't 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 worry at all about 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 borrowing. Well, borrowing listen, phrases. it was it was a great great uh, phrase that you you put forward, and it it really resounded with me because, you know, I will be with people who are veterans of cigar smokers and absolute beginners, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of 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 that group. Uh, and we're all just there enjoying the cigar. No one's kind of looking down at anybody. No one's being weird about anything. It's mm -hmm. just everyone's there to enjoy the experience. And I think that's the most important thing. But I think for, for people like myself and the people that listen to this kind of podcast is just enjoying the experience isn't enough. So I was talking to a friend of mine. He was like, so what's in a cigar? Is it, mm. is it what, what, what stuff is in there? And I think that's a typical kind of cigarette smoker kind of question, right? Yep. You know, you've got 5,000 different compounds in a cigarette and it's quite shocking to people when they hear that it's only tobacco. And in some circumstances with the nicest cigars, it's very particular tobaccos from very particular farms in very particular regions. So I think, Jimmy, if we could start off, if you could just tell me what is a cigar, what, what, is actually put into a cigar what's it made of um what's inside what's outside okay yeah i mean i think i should be able to i think you probably asked the right person there so the vast i mean the, essentially all cigars have three three constituent parts they have the wrapper which is a very thin leaf that we see on the outside of the wrapper it wraps the cigar and so that's the leaf that we actually see um underneath in cuba that would be called kappa 
And then underneath that, you have something called a binder or capote. And the binder is there really to hold the thing together, the middle of leaves together, in order to the wrapper can just wrap the cigar and doesn't have to do any of the kind of constraining. So the binder sits just underneath the wrapper, holding the filler. And the filler leaves are what gives the cigar its character, its strengths, its aromas, and, and all the other things that make the cigar have its, its personality. So those three things, filler, binder, and wrapper. Or in, 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 in Cuban terms, tripper is the filler, capote is the binder, and capa is the wrapper. And then you have a few different manufacturing techniques. And the vast majority of cigars that are consumed around the world are mass-produced, machine-made, short filler. And so you have machines that can make tens of thousands of cigars a day, short filler. So the filler leaves are chopped up into little short pieces and then mixed up in big drums and then rolled in these machines. That's what most cigars are to most people. If you Is that like your, like your hamlets and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so, yeah. And, there's, and in, within some of these cigars, there is, um, you know, there's, there's some process. I don't think we need to get into too many details, but they use some, a lot of cigars will use something called homogenized tobacco leaf for the binder, which is a bit like a paper, which they will add some of those additives, the burning salts and stuff like that into in order to encourage it to burn. You don't get that with any of the Cuban cigars at all. And any really handmade cigars that I know of. So part that to one side, even though it's 97% of the market, um, what we're talking about uh, is, is a handmade product. And so we still have a wrapper, a binder, and filler leaves. But these are now long filler, triple lager, as opposed to triple quarter. And what that means is that you're smoking a whole piece of leaf in the middle of the cigar. So you... you, you when the torcedor or cigar roller make these cigars, they take these whole pieces of leaf and they form the bunch of these different blends of leaves. And we'll talk about that in a second. And then they, when they roll them into the binder, they make sure that all the leaves are pointing in the same direction. Wow. So when you light the, the foot of the cigar, the, the open part of the cigar, it doesn't need to be cut. That's the tip of the leaf, which is more, is, you know, more delicate in aromas and flavours. You smoke down the leaf into the to the stem end part of the leaf, which is the end you're putting in your mouth, and that's much thicker and more intensely packed with oils and sugars and flavors, and tastes stronger. So that's why you get that development of flavor with a long filler handmade cigar, not just because the embers are getting closer to your nose. Yeah, that's so what I thought it was. Up. Yeah, it is, well, of course it is that, but it's it's accentuated by the fact that they are actually blending the cigar in order to get stronger. And you can't do that with a, with a short for a cigar because they're chopped up into little pieces and mixed up in big drums. Mm. So it's quite a different experience. Now, for us, we have a little bit more detail that we can talk about when you say, well, what's in a cigar? So for, for Cuba, I mean, it's a bit like um, in Champagne, you have to, in order to call a, a wine Champagne, you have to have, um, the grapes, I, think, I don't know, Pinot Noir, Mernier, and Chardonnay, I think, are the main grape varieties that they'll use to make champagne. They have to be grown in champagne. And then you have to make the bottle of champagne using method Champenoir in order to be called champagne. You can get some good sparkling wines, you can get some indifferent ones, but you're not allowed to call it champagne unless it's made like that. Okay. And we have, we have quite, sorry, I, I don't know why I use wines in an analogy. I don't know very much about it. So you, if you get loads of people telling you, I'm talking rubbish about champagne. I apologize. Um, but we have a similar kind of uh, setup within the Cuban cigar industry. So we have, across the island, you have uh, four main designated tobacco-growing regions. 
But then within these regions, you have zones, districts, and then individual plantations that are prized above all others on the island for the quality of their tobacco. And it's these plantations. So in in, in the French in, in the French wine industry, they're the Grand Cru, I think, the, mm. the vineyards. But for us, they're the Vegas de Primera, the first class fields. And so these are tobacco, these are these are acreages that have been growing tobacco for hundreds of years and are uh, respected and revered and loved in just the same way that the vineyards of Burgundy or Bordeaux and Alsace and Champagne are. So we take our, we have, we have now a wrap, we need to make our wrapper, our binder and our filler from these particular plantations. The wrapper needs to be very, very thin and quite oily. And so what they actually do is they grow these, these plants under, uh, under cover or what we call tarpado fields. Tarpado just means covered. And the, the covering, which is made with like a cheesecloth or, or a muslin cloth, it acts a bit like a and they, covering entire plantations. It does look incredible when you see it. Wow. Underneath is these plants, then it encourages them to grow because it acts a bit like a greenhouse. So they grow very, they grow quite quickly, quite rapidly, but quite thin because they're protected from the direct sunlight. So the, the humidity and temperature is trapped under there, but the sunlight is filtered slightly. So they grow very, very tall, very, very quick, very, very oily, but very thin. So they're ideal to dress cigars. Then you can plant some seeds in the sun that are exposed to all the richness of the Cuban sun. And these leaves will go on to produce the binder and all the different types of filler leaves that we need. So for the binder, that will be from the bottom of the sun-grown plant because it's one of the oldest leaves. It's one of the broadest leaves. And it's the one that will burn naturally, burn quite well. So you can imagine you wrap the other leaves in that, that's going to help it burn. Then we have within our tripper, within our filler, we have three different types of leaf based on whereabouts on the plant it's from. The bottom section of the sun-grown plant, the sun-grown. So when you harvest a tobacco plant, by the way, it takes about 30 days because you take the bottom leaves, mananita, you take the bottom leaves and uh, you leave the plant for about a week. And then you come back to it and you take the first picking, maybe two or three leaves, and you leave it three or four days. And then you come back and you take another picking. Libre de pie, uno y medio. And so they all have their own names. Mm. And to get from the bottom to the top takes about 30 days. And what you're doing by, by staging the, the harvesting like this is you're accentuating the natural difference between the older less oil-rich leaves at the bottom of the plant and the younger, more vibrant leaves at the top. Mm. And you're allowing the younger leaves at the top an extra month to fully mature. So from the bottom of the plant, they tend to burn well, but don't taste as strong. And the further up the plant you go, the stronger they are, but the less well they, they can bust. Mm. So the bottom leaves, we call velado. And they have to be aged. You know, I mean, we'll talk about the curing and fermenting yeah, yeah, and yeah. aging as well. But you take the velado, and that's going to be used in the tripper, the filler leaves, in order to make sure that you get a consistent and even burn. But it doesn't affect the blend of the flavor too much. Then from the middle section of the sun-grown tobacco plant, you get seco leaf. Seco leaf burns okay, not fantastically well, but it has the lovely aroma. So that's used for okay. the cigar in order to give the cigar its flavors and aromas. And now you have a cigar that looks good, holds together, burns well, and has a nice aroma. You'd think we'd be done, but actually you, you need to use some of the leaves from the top of the plant, which we call lijero, and that's to give the cigar structure or depth. Most people describe it as strength, and I think mm. that's fair enough. So then you 
blend up some of the hair or sack of a lardo, roll it into your binder leaf, dress it in a wrapper, and then you have a cigar. And you have wow. a cigar that looks good, burns well, tastes nice, and has depth and structure to, to maintain your interest. And because it's been rolled long filler, it develops as you smoke down it. So the first thing I want to say before we go move on from this is these leaves are not just, you don't measure a plant with a ruler and say that, that amount is going to be lihero, that amount is going to be seco. It's all done with touch and feel and expertise and experience for the, for the vigueros or farmers in Cuba. Sure. Is, is that why a lot of these farmers have kind of been doing their jobs for many, many generations? It, it, it kind of takes that amount of time to, to understand and, and master the, the, these, these jobs. I think so. I mean, I think that um, I'm not a, a very rural person. I'm, I'm much more, I was born in London and I don't sure. really understand the countryside very well, but I think that it's absolutely true. You, we, so I took somebody to, um, I took somebody to Cuba a few years ago and I, and I was, and we were, we were talking to a, a Cuban farmer who said that his grandfather would set the house up where he, where it was so that he could sit in his front room on his favorite chair and look out onto the plantations and see all these curing barns you could see into them to see how everything was ready and what he could be done the next day my goodness and so their lives revolve around it then yeah yeah and i was and i was talking and i was talking to him about you know how do you know when it's ready what are you looking for and one of these guys that came with me who's um who works a lot with um fine wines and spirits and he said it reminded him of going to cognac 30 years ago and he said mm. well how do you know when to cut the head and save the heart and dismiss the tail of this in the first uh, distillation. They said, well, we asked Pepe. Who's Pepe? And Pepe's a little French guy with a wicked cane and a beret. And you said, Pepe, how, when's it ready? And Pepe says, well, we don't do it too early. We don't do it too late. Yeah, and that's, um, you've never, because you, you've never, he's never been asked before. He's just been asked to make good cognac. And this is how you make good cognac, of course, because that's, of course. and it's the same with a lot of these guys. They've got incredible skill. But they've never necessarily been asked to write down on a piece of paper exactly what shade of brown it is before they decide to go to the next stage. So it's it's always a massive education for me going to Cuba. I'm lucky enough to go to Cuba quite regularly, or have been before this lockdown stuff. And every time you go, I've, I've come back with notebooks full of new information. Amazing. I have to then try and piece back together because you turn up in, a, in the middle of a very busy year for one day and want to understand everything. It doesn't course, always work like that. Of course. So what what happens is just to come back just briefly, is what happens in a very kind of roundabout way, what happens is you harvest the leaves, they get taken to the Casa de Tobacco or curing barn where they're sewn into pairs by hand, hung over a pole and left for 50 days. That's where all the, the that's where they go from bright green to golden brown, and that's about losing moisture. And then the, depending on whether it's the wrapper, which is very thin, doesn't need very much, maybe just one fermentation about 20 days and then it'll be wrapped in what we call tercios which are bales really made from the husk of the royal palm tree it'd be bailed up and aged for about six months then given to the roller to, to produce a cigar that's the youngest leaf then you have velado seco ligero um so for example ligero will be cured in the same way uh, so 50 days on a, across a pole in a barn it will go through three fermentation stages the last one lasts about 90 days. And when you go to these places, for us, fermentation is about bleeding out impurities. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you notice is ammonia bleeding out of these leaves. The nicotine dissipates. Tobacco negro cubano, which is black Cuban tobacco, 
which is the, the common ancestor for all of the plants that are grown now, all of the tobacco plants grown in Cuba, naturally has quite a low nicotine level, or historically has always had. Really? But this aging okay. process allows it down even further. Yeah. And, um, and the pH value changes over time. So it starts off as an acidic product, which your cigarette smoking friend, or well, he's smoked a few cigarettes, that's an acidic product because it's speed cured and rolled very quickly after the harvest. And acidity is, is easier for your lungs and your throat and your mouth to, to accept because it's an acidic environment. Mm. Whereas over time, that, that acidity uh, peters out and turns into an alkali substance. And that's, um, that's a bit more of a, a foreign experience for your body. And that's why you get a fuller, richer flavor, but also a bit of a thump in the back of your throat if you inhale, which you're not supposed to do. Um, so the lihero then is aged for a minimum of two years. Wow. in bales before it's given to a roller so you end up with lots of it's a very it's a moving piece or a moving target you have different harvests being prepared in different times and then you take one leaf from a, from one plantation and you take two leaves from another plantation two years later and then another put them together and you end up with a recognizable bend it's a, i mean it is a, a small act of magic every time they they do it as far as i'm concerned amazing so and i i, I, I wonder how, with the yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying that's that's how there are always caveats and there always there is a lot more detail to go into. Yes. But um a lot of the Cuban cigars are made in that way. So you have you have five essentially five types of leaf. Uh doesn't mean that they're always used, doesn't mean that they'll all be used, but five types of leaf, the hero seco, velado, capote, capa. Uh, they're rolled in the same ways. By the often the cigar rollers won't be told what brand they're rolling for. Ah. They'll be given a recipe. They'll be given a recipe of leaves um, when they work in walking into work that day. Enough to roll about hundred cigars, depending on the shape and size. Sure. And they'll be told what shape it should, should be. Um, so they roll to a blend that somebody else has dictated. Interesting. Yeah, and that's and, and that's and that's um that's how a lot of the Cuban cigars. And you're absolutely right. Habanos is. We say that not all all Cuban cigars not. All Habanos are Cuban, but not all Cuban cigars are Habanos because you get you get tobacco being grown outside of these biggest de primeras and you have Cuban country cigars, you know, just like you have table wine in France. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think I I think that's really important to make that distinction right between Habanos cigars and Cuban cigars because there is there is clearly a a a difference when it comes to that, but. A couple of things I want to unpack about what you said, Jimmy, uh, just so I'm uh, kind of, you know, gaining a full understanding of exactly what's happening here. So you mentioned that there is a I think what you were describing is a standard production, right, is uh, a standard Habanos production uh, of how um, standard cigars are made. Uh, you've obviously got things like edition limitadas and grand reservas and all this sort of stuff. And um I wonder, because this is something that's been quite interesting to me as of recently, is the idea of aging and maturing cigars. Yeah. Uh, but there are there's particular lines like the Grand Reserva, for example. Uh, when they say that the... Um, can you hear that? Yeah, I can hear that. Don't worry, I'll edit it out. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, the Grand Reserva. So uh, when I was kind of looking into that, they say that they age the tobacco leaves for seven years before they even make five, the cigar five years five years is it five years okay mm. uh, is that the lahero that they're talking about or is that everything that they're aging everything 
So actually, with the reserves of grand reserves, it's a good example. It's, it's, in fact, they're the only example, really, where you have a cosecha, I think that's how you say it, a harvest, where all of the tobacco is, is taken together, I mean, through the same process of harvesting over 30 days, but they take the tobacco, they process it, they then lay everything down for, for five years, or with the reserve, it's three years, grand reserve is five. And then they'll roll the cigar. So that's Lijera Seco Velado. And actually, I remember asking somebody in Cuba about that. I said, well, you know, Velado, five-year-old Velado? What does that taste like? You know, and, that, and actually, that is part of the skill, is finding Velado that's going to have something after five years. And they are, I was very, very lucky to smoke one this week. I very rarely smoke cigars of that, of that cost, really, because they're so rare that there's no point in me having one. We, we sell all of that sort of stuff. Sure. So, um, Lucky to have to smoke one this week, um, and they are fantastic. I think in yeah. Cuba there is a tradi- the, 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 in Cuba the tradition is to age tobacco, roll the cigar, and then smoke it. Whereas obviously we we weren't we aren't doing that in this country. We are buying the cigars and aging the boxes. Mm. <laughs> I've got I've got a house full of dogs. I'm hey, sorry, listen, was- you got you no, you got to do what you got to do. It's absolutely fine, but. Um- um, you know, I was I so, was going to yeah yeah please. So yeah, so I think um, the better analogy is I mean there's there's cigars and and aging, it it is a and, and blending and I mean we've already kind of spoken about champagne and there's lots of similarities. I, I did a, I was fortunate enough to be given um, a tour of the Tamdu uh, distillery on the Space side river on the side of the Spay River by uh, Sandy McIntyre, the director. Amazing. Um, a few a few weeks ago and there's a lot of similarities between you know the way that the 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 liquid is prepared or the leaves are prepared and the aging and the importance of age but i think with with when you talk about aging cigars then maybe you switch into more like red wines where Mm. you know with a whiskey you put the cork in it and it's kind of done i know some people argue a little bit about that but basically it's done regardless of how long it sits in the bottle whereas for us you make the cigar that's continuing to develop and change as a cigar in its box or in its tube until, you know, it changes very drastically into ash when you smoke it. But it, but it's 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 a subject again. It's a subjective thing. When is that cigar at its best? You know, mm-hmm. because yeah, yeah. No, it's no, no, no. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, it's it, it is fascinating to me because you know, I I think I mentioned to you, I had my first Grand Reserva a couple of weeks ago with a mutual friend of ours, Amir. Uh, it was the uh, Lusitanius Grand Reserva, and um, you know, it was one hell of an experience, unlike nothing I've ever experienced before, to be completely honest. Yeah. So that's why I was wondering, you know, when they say that they age the the tobacco, is it just the lejero? Is it everything? And yeah. when I was when I was kind of looking into that, uh, and I want to kind of go back to the wrapper. Uh, which you kind of started talking about uh, this mm-hmm. entire process. Now, from what I understand, I believe the wrapper is the most cherished and expensive part of the of 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 all the leaves that we're using here, the five leaves. Um, and I think a lot of them are deemed to be not good enough. So there's a lot of uh, there's kind of a lot of wastage when you're dealing with wrappers, and only the best are used for things in the Habanos yeah. portfolio. Um, but there's a a myth that I want to just kind of run by you, which is, and I think it's already been debunked based on what you've said, where uh, a lot, if not all of the flavor is coming from the filler. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but a typical thing that's put forward is the darker the cigar, the stronger mm-hmm. it's going to be. Yeah. Um, so it kind of leads me on to two questions. Number one, is that true? Uh, and number two, what is a Maduro wrapper and what is that compared to a, uh, a natural wrapper? What, what are the differences? Okay. Um, so first of all, um, when we were talking about harvesting these plants from the bottom to the top to accentuate the natural differences, and I was really, I was talking about those sun grown, but the same thing happens with the wrapper leaves, which are wrapper plants, which are grown on a shade. They do start at the bottom, they work their way. But what they're doing next, because they're all so thin, they're really worrying about the colour. And the darker wrappers mm-hmm. come from further up the plant. And the darkness is caused by oil and sugar. Oh. So the wrapper is, I, I mean, how much influence it has on the cigar, we'll, we'll come on to in a minute. But the colour is really, is really uh, um, created by the sugars and the oils within the leaf that when they cure it, it bleeds out and naturally starts, stains the leaf darker, depending on how high up it is. Mm. For us, in the Cuban cigar industry, the darkest type of wrapper that you can see, we call a Maduro. And the lightest one, we call a Claro. We have Claro, and then in the middle, the slightly reddish one, you have Colorado. So then you also have Claro, Colorado, Colorado, Maduro. There's five main classifications of shade that we talk about. But in the factories of Cuba, they have over 70 different shades. And the, the attention to detail in tone and shade is incredible. Really? Some of the, some of the most some of the most well-respected people in the factories are working as color graders and they will sort these wrappers into over 70 different colors, colors and shades. And then they will, when they've got 25 identical cigars, they give them to a friend, a colleague who will then organize. If you, if, so if you open a box of Cuban cigars, you might get a dark box, you might get a light box, you might get a box you like or dislike, but those colors should all be the same. And if there's any variation, the second, uh, the second color grader, We'll organise it so the darkest sits on the left of the box oh, and the lightest is on the right. I so see. any slight variation will run in a in a in a in a pre-agreed order, and then they, and then it'll go on for, to be banded. In terms of the flavour, how much of a flavour you get from that wrapper? I um, I think again, this is something that I hear New World non-Cuban uh, quite different um, opinions about from Cuba. So I have heard people say that up to 60% of the flavors from the wrapper, from a, from a, a new world. I mean, I prefer non-Cuban. I don't know what the right terminology is. But yeah, actually, I'll, I'll, get, I'll tell you something really quickly. So I had a chat with Aaron Sigmund a couple of days ago, and I think yeah. he went on a 20-minute rant on how he believes that the word new world is a derogatory and disgraceful term to describe uh, non-Cuban. He even, he even said that... Um, because he 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 pointed it takes a out lot that to get him out get, get him upset abs- absolutely well he was actually quite upset by the fact because he said that the word not new world is used nowhere else in the world apart from the UK um mm. and he was essentially like you know he was going into the history about why the word new world is is used so yeah he has some interesting views about the word uh, even non cuban he he believes is 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 not fair to the to the to the to the uh, to the to the market outside of Cuba, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, go yeah, either. So, I mean, um, difficult to know what to call them then. Yeah, they're exactly. The two what are they? I have on the table. Am I? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I ended up using non-Cuban, Nicaraguan, Honduran, Jamaican, Dominican. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, you can just call them where they're from. But I, I, I mean, 
I have heard, and this is a Nicaraguan producer, manufacturer, um, say that it was up to 60% of the flavours from the wrapper. Is that right? Now, in, um, and I don't know if everybody would go along with that. I'm not a, a big expert on um, cigars other than Cubans. Sure. <laughs> I don't know what's called cool. um, But um, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about a Cuban cigar having the wrapper having more than maybe 5% of the flavour. Is that right? Now, okay. Now, I, you know, as the Cuban cigar guy, it's very easy to make some flippant comment about, well, why doesn't the filler taste for anything? And I don't think that's right because I respect a huge amount of people that work within the cigar industry outside of Cuba. Mm. Very knowledgeable, very, you know, just like the same thing when you talk about generations of people involved in it. You've never, I would never want to be rude or dismissive of any of those uh, people. But I did smoke a cigar recently. And I can't remember what it was called. Something was, I think it was called the Play. Oh, no, I don't want to get it wrong. So okay. I can't remember what it was called. Um, but it was the Cigar Aficionado Cigar of the Year last year, I think. Oh, damn. And the wrapper was was like leather compared uh-huh. to anything that I'm used to. And I think that it's clearly been prepared in order to have more flavour. You know, so it's a more active ingredient within uh-huh. it, within the blend, I think. Okay, so, so it's know. less aesthetical and more functional is kind of what, oh, look, what, it's, oh, listen, what it's working towards. No, it looked great. It looked great. Um, okay. But it was just so th- it was just so thick. Oh damn. You know? And and uh, and so I think maybe they are anyway, I, I don't want to don't want to say anything that might come across as rude, you know. Um, no, it is what it is what it is. You know, it is what it yeah. is. And you know, at the at the at the end of the day, and this is a this is a belief that I'm very uh, uh that I believe in very, very much so, is you know, Cubans are Cubans at the end of the day. Um, you know, sure there's a lot of variety outside of Cuba. But listen, there's, there's a reason why the Cubans are kind of this mythical um, uh, uh, cigar. And it's not because of marketing and branding. It's because they are, you know, beautiful, extraordinary products with great heritage and great background uh, that just perform. They just always perform. You know, my my dad's favorite cigar is the uh, Cohiba Esplendidos. Um, Your father has good taste. <laughs> Well, I, I I was telling uh, Eddie, I'll 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 send you the pictures. I was telling Eddie that I uh, I was digging through his humidor because I I keep a couple of his humidors in my house as well. And, That's very uh, kind of you. It's very yeah, very kind indeed. I don't think he knows actually. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, but uh, <laughs> um, and I was kind of digging through it and I found like a box of uh, ten or fifteen of Cohiba Esplendidos from two thousand and three, the the edition limitada, and. Uh, you know, the thing with him is he's been smoking them now for about 15 or 20 years and he has never had a bad experience. You know, it's always just brilliant on brilliant on brilliant. Same with the Seagull 06, which is his other favorite. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's 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 not something that is is hyped up to a degree which isn't supported by the actual experience. Uh, they, they truly are beautiful products. So I don't care if that upsets anybody, to be completely honest. I think it's just down to palate and down to preference. And I think most people prefer the Cuban cigars to the the, the ones outside of Cuba. I think that's just my yeah. experience. Well, I mean, sales sales back that up as well. Agreed. You know? um, most places where um, Cuban cigars were available on the shelf um, alongside the non-Cubans, the Cubans outsell the non-Cubans. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, it's what my passion is. You know, I worked from I, when I was in Selfridges, we had Cubans, non-Cubans. And uh, it was always the Cubans that I would smoke. And now I very rarely smoke non-Cuban cigars. Um, 
But I think what's quite nice about them is that they they are no longer trying to be Cuban cigars. They they go they're going their own way and they're using their own terroir to produce cigars based on what they have around them, and they're becoming more interesting. There's definitely been a huge increase in quality. I agree. Um, but, I agree. Listen, but, I'll I'll, I'll smoke either. It's no problem at all. You know, I'll smoke a Davidoff. I'll smoke, uh, you know, mm. Padron and uh, Fuente. I think these are all beautiful, brilliant cigars. But listen, if I'm going to reach towards a cigar that I want to be memorable and I want to commemorate something, it's going to be a Cuban. And that that's just that's just it is what it is, right? Um, but Jimmy, I wanted to kind of finish things off by asking you a final question, uh, which is. You mentioned a uh, a particular cigar earlier. You mentioned the Monte Cristo Edmundo, I think, is the one mm. that you, you were talking about. Now, there are words that are thrown around like Corona, Double Corona, Half Corona, Parejo, uh, Perfecto, Salmo- Salmones. All these different words are thrown around. And Jesus, I don't have a clue what any of them are, to be completely mm-hmm. honest. You know, Corona, yeah. isn't that what we need to stay away from? What's going on here? You know, mm. it's. Uh, <laughs> I can so, imagine the word Corona isn't doing too well from a uh, uh, from a marketing perspective, but. Um, well, I mean, yeah, but of course, Corona is a very old word. I mean, it's, it's having a bit of a kicking at the moment, <laughs> but um, it's. Um, but it's it, you know, it means crown, or, and um, absolutely. Essentially, what you have is within the cigar industry in Cuba, you have twenty-seven different Habanos brands, and they all have their own portfolio of sizes. You know, some only have one. And others have over 20. Um, but within that, excuse me, all of these different sizes have what we call their commercial name, which is the name that we all know from going into a shop and buying them. Okay. And then they also have their factory name. And the factory name is what they're called in the, you know, when I was saying this chap doesn't, or lady maybe mm. doesn't even know, know what, what the brand, brand is. they're making for. So they will just be told a name based on the shape and size. It has no relevance on the blend. And that's the, the factory name. That's, when we talk about sizes, we, we use the term Vitola. Vitola means shape and size. And okay, so, so, two... so Vitola encompasses the shape as well as the, the size as well. So it's, it's, mm. it's both. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So all the different Vitolas that we have, we have the Vitola de Galera. The Galera is the galley, the room where they all sit, the rollers, the torcedores sit and turn loose leaf tobacco into cigars. That's, you know. Wow. Um, and so they, their name for the cigar is based on shape and size, nothing to do with blend. Because we want to know what it's going to taste like. So mm. we need to know what brands made it. And so then the brand will give it its own name. And that becomes the Vitola de Salida. And anyone that's been to Spain, Salida kind of means exit. You see that sign above doors everywhere in Spain and Cuba and any Spanish-speaking country. But for us, it's a commercial name. It's the name once it's left the factory and arrived in the shop. So then now we know, Monte Cristo number four, for example, well, I know what shape and size that is, and I know what blend it is because it's a Monte Cristo number four. But the same cigar could be made by Cohiba, but they call theirs a Siglo two. It's the same shape and size, different blend because different leaves from different parts of the island, and different quantities, but it's the same shape and size. They're, all, they're both in the factory. It's called a Mareva. A Mareva is a, most people probably know, Petit Corona. And it's five and one eighth. 129 millimeters, I think, always get millimeters wrong, by 42 ring gauge. So we talk about, so when I do the training for people in the trade, a lot of what we talk about is trying to just get an idea of what shapes and sizes are. Because if somebody comes in and says, I normally smoke this, but I want something different, they often mean the taste rather than the shape and size. If they're Mm. happy with the shape and size, 
So like a Robusto is another one. Yes. Robusto, Cohiba Robusto, which is, I think, a, a cigar we've spoken about. We have. Um, that's uh, four and seven-eighths of an inch. I'm trying to think of the millimetres. I'm not even 124. Yeah, we won't even maybe. try. <laughs> no. Four and seven-eighths of an inch by 50 ring gauge. Okay. So Cohiba call theirs a Robusto, helpfully. But you've got loads of others. So Hoya de Monterey, which is a light-flavoured brand, do one called the Epicure Number no. 2. Ah, oh, one of my favourites. Mm. But again, if, you're, if you enjoy that and you say, actually, I feel like, you know, I've just had a really rich, maybe spiced meal. Mm. I want something a bit stronger. Well, then you'd go up to the medium-bodied Roman Julieta Short Churchill or the Monte Cristo Open Master. Exactly the same shape and size. A different blend. But a different blend. And then again, you're used to it because it smokes for 40 minutes. It feels like the right kind of cigar between your fingers, between your teeth. You get that nice, easy draw that you get from a 50 ring gauge. Or maybe you think, actually, I'm going to go for something really powerful. Partial sure. D4, Bolivar, Royal Corona. These are full flavored, big bodied cigars, but the shape and size is exactly the same. Interesting. So often, often it's worth trying to remember what the name of the cigar is so that you can talk to your cigar merchant. Because I would say, um, if people are thinking about getting into cigars, the best thing to do is to go into one of the big, you know, proper Havana cigar specialists. In fact, I should do a little bit of a plug, shouldn't I? Of course we have you on our web on our website, cigars.co.uk, we have a where to buy and smoke section. So anywhere in the UK, you can go onto our site or anywhere you are, go onto our site, you type in your postcode, use your current location. And it will find you all the little shops or big shops around near you or little terraces or, or guard plate, anywhere that stocks our cigars and has an outdoor space, that'll be listed in the where to smoke. So often what happens is people don't realise that there's a lovely little pub or restaurant around the corner where they've got a little garden you can sit and smoke with a heater. And they've been travelling five miles in the wrong direction <laughs> all this time. So go very, to very handy tool. Very handy yeah, tool. Go, go to this go to go to one of these places and speak to the speak to the guys that look after the cigars. Um, start with something quite light and work up, but it's um, the world's your oyster, really. Mm. Yeah, and stick, uh, all, stick, but stick. the uh, all, all all these cigars that you mentioned are all, from what I understand, Parejo shapes, uh, right? It's that typical uh, uh, kind yeah. of cylindrical thing. Um, but nowadays, um, you know, with uh, with the with the um, uh, with like brands like Cuava and stuff like that, that are kind of having a bit of a resurgence, uh, you're seeing these weird shapes coming out can you maybe tell me a bit more about that okay well i think i think that really really the the perejo is this is a straight-sided or parallel-sided cigar what most people would recognize as a cigar and then the figurado is the one that kind of tapers at one end but then you also get a double figurado which kind of well it tapers at both ends so it looks like it bulges slightly in the middle sure that's i always think that's a kind of um, the popeye cigar Popeye cigar, why not? Yeah, um, the fairground cigar. Sure. Um, well, actually, they were the most popular sizes for many, many years. The the double figurados, the fancy shapes, and um, it wasn't until the kind of nineteen twenties that, that the Perejo became more popular. We had the phase where oh. thin cigars were very, very popular. People like things like the Lonsdale or even thinner. Um, so people quite liked smoking these elegant-looking cigars. Interesting. Um, interesting. And now we are going through a, a, a period of, I don't think you've ever seen it before, where the, the cigar ring gauges are getting so 
heavy huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're big boys now. Yeah. So you have, I mean, we had um, a 58 brigade Cohib uh, Robustus Camos a few years ago. Then in 2016, it would have been, we had the Cohiba's 50th anniversary cigar. was a 60 ring gauge. By the way, a ring gauge is fractions of an inch. I don't know if you've, if you've been through this with anyone, but a ring gauge is 64, one ring gauge point is one sixty-fourth of an inch. So if you have a 64 ring gauge on a cigar, that means it's got a diameter of one inch. And I'm not sure why we have the oh. 64 of an inch, but I like the fact that when Cuba released their cigars, they talk about the length in millimetres and the ring gauge in inches. Yeah, isn't that a bit weird? <laughs> it's, it's just a lovely Cuban compromise, I think, you know, <laughs> between the Spanish and the British and American kind yeah. of influences on the, on the traditional influences on the market. Um, so we've just done a bit of both. Um, Extraordinary. Of course, we translate everything into inches for length in the UK and have always done that. But um, the wider ring gauges are becoming more and more popular, but they do tend to still be Pelejo sizes predominantly. I mean, Kuaba, Kuaba is, although it's a very new brand, <laughs> a very new brand to people like me that have been bouncing around for such a long time, yeah. but it's a uh, '96. It was released. Yeah, it was '96. Was it? Was it was in the, the, the second half? I think. Of the I think it was '96 because I was born in '96. So I think I I, I. 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 know that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's it's actually Kuaba means there was the Taino Indians when Christopher Columbus turned up and told the Taino Indians that he discovered them in 1492. They were already smoking rolled up bunches of leaves, oh. which they called cohibas. So that's where the word cohiba comes from. We call them cigars, but we don't know when they were smoking them. In fact, there's a, I saw a cigar aficionado article recently saying that they found tobacco seeds in a, in a, in a prehistoric fireplace dating back 12,000 years. My so who knows when people started enjoying tobacco as part of their social or, or religious life. Jesus. But, when you saw these cigar smokers, the Taino Indians, they would um, use a particular bush, a flammable bush, a branch from a flammable bush to light their cohibas. And that was the Kuaba bush in the Taino Indian language. Ah. So that's where the name comes from. And they went back to a very traditional shape for the cigars. They actually launched that brand in Claridge's in London. Um, and, and the Double Figurado has kind of, I suppose, has had a bit of a resurgence. We've used the Double Figurado a couple of times for our regional editions mm. in, the, in the UK, and they've always been really popular. People do quite like them, and not just for novelty value, I mean. They're, um, yeah, they're yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have definitely seen more and more people kind of opt for the more, I guess, fancier shapes, you know, whether it's a... Mm. Uh, I had my first Lancero recently, uh, which oh. was... Uh, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a Cohiba Lancero. No, it was the it was the Lancero shape, but it was slightly slightly more special than the Cohiba Lancero. It was a um, a Davidoff number one Cuban. <laughs> you have done very well there. That's <laughs> and uh, yeah. of course, you know where I got hold of that. Eddie uh, mm. brought that along to a, to a, to a lunch, um, and we had uh, we had them together. And it was my first ever Lancero, and it was it was lovely. It was really nice. Uh, Eddie had to uh, drill the um, the top a little bit because it was a bit tight. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, it was it was absolutely lovely, and it's fascinating where you can have um, kind of you know um, cigars within the same house. Uh, and by house, I'm I mean brand. I don't know if that's the right word to use, uh, but yeah. um, 
you know, but if you change the shape, the shape slightly, you're obviously changing the way that you draw the cigar, which I'm sure yeah. I'm sure has an effect on the on the on the flavour. Yeah, quite a big effect, I would say. Really? And it's interesting. I mean, if you like if you like that, I would recommend. I mean, I would, I suppose. But we have the El Rey de Munda Lorena, which was a oh. which is a regional edition that we made. I'm very familiar um, with that. Never had one though, but very familiar. Well, when we fight, when we when we next catch up, I'll try and make sure I've got a couple in my back pocket. You're unbelievable. We can we can try them. Um, but you find what you what you find. I mean, it, it, it kind of makes sense from a, um, if you think about it logically. I think is that a longer cigar. If you light a long cigar, it takes the smoke has to pass through the rest of the cigar before it lands on your palate. That cools down a little bit. Um, the, the passages of air that the tossador puts into the cigar in order to get that draw through also act as a little bit of a filter. Mm. So they tend to, you tend to get a slightly lighter, slightly cooler smoke from a long cigar. Now, if you have a wide ring gauge, when you put the same amount of pressure on that, it burns slower. It burns down slower because it's got a bigger surface area. So you tend to, and you also your mouth is in a different position. Your mouth is open. And so the smoke tends to come across all of your palate arrive in all areas of your palate and it allows you to mm. pick up a more rounded taste whereas when you smoke something quite thin your mouth is more puckered yeah it's quite directional more, exactly and you get this directional smoke arrive sometimes a little bit closer towards the front of your palate it takes yeah. a little bit longer to to allow it to open up and you can get a slightly sharper more intense hotter flavor from some of these small thinner cigars because you're putting more the cigar is burning down quicker because there's only a small area that you're putting that pressure through. And, um, and of course, a short cigar, you light it and it's, it's instant and it's, it's quite instant. intense because yeah. it's, 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 the smoke is arriving quite hot on your palate. So your father is a fan of the Ciglo 6. Mm. So, um, I'm so, I mean, so am I. So a lot of people that smoke cigars, it's a very good cigar. That's part of the Cohiba Linear 1492. So Cohiba have different linears in different flavor categories. Mm. And linear 1492, most people know as the Siglo range. Okay. 1492, launched in 1992, again in London. And each Siglo, which means century, translates, uh, it represents 100 years between the meeting of the old world and the new. Mm. So you have five Siglos that were launched in 1992. The Siglo 6 came out in 2002. I couldn't wait until 2092 for that one, which is great because we would have all missed out on the cigar. Exactly. But, um, the Siglo 6 is a 52 ring gauge and it's quite long and it, and it burns quite slowly and it's got a beautiful blend to it. And I think that that brand, that 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 whole linear is classified as medium body. Ah. I think personally the Siglo 6 smokes a bit lighter than that. You know, it's a, it's a kind of one a coffee, two of cream, kind of nice, soft, easygoing smoke. Whereas the Siglo 1, which is just a 40 ring gauge and just a, a much shorter, when you like that, that can be quite punchy, quite intense. Interesting. And I think a little bit sharper. So I would say maybe that smokes a little bit above medium body. Now, I'm okay. not saying that they've got anything wrong because you're trying to classify an entire flavor, entire, entire linear within one simple flavor profile. But that's the shape. That's the Vitola that has made a difference to the way that the blend is tasting. Amazing, amazing, and I—I I think a most recent um, experience that I had that helped me to understand that was because I—I believe the Lusitanius is a similar length to the Davidoff Number One, um, 
uh, uh, around yeah. a similar length anyway. Yeah, I mean, give or take, yeah. Yeah, uh, but the, the Lusitanius is obviously quite considerably thicker. Um, and you're totally right. I was definitely getting an easier smoke, uh, a bit more of an approachable flavour profile, even though Partagas is known for being real heavy hitter, but mm -hmm. this had been considerably aged. You know, this was, you know, probably... God, I mean, how old would it have been uh, if it was already five year aged, uh, you know, rolled in tw uh, 2007, it's 2021 now. So my goodness, I mean, it's already quite considerably aged. So a lot of that strength would have been would have been weaned off by now. Uh, but yeah, I think I think I think that's right. I think you you get um, I mean, a, a double Corona is a, a 49 ring gauge and your um, your Davidoff would be 38. And that's. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a, there's a reason that all of these different sizes exist, you know. And actually, it's funny because the Lusitania is a good example of a cigar that I smoke with people sometimes, and they're used to smoking Partagas at D4, which is, you know, just under five inches. Mm. I mean, that's kind of what they're known for, along with the Lusitanias, mm. of course. But I think most people go with that. I think it's a bit more approachable as well in price. Yeah, I, th I, th I think, um, I think the Partagas D4 is the best-selling Cuban cigar around the world. So, I mean, that is what most people's relationship with particles would be through the D4. Absolutely right. I agree with that. But often, when you smoke a Lusitania with somebody who is more used to a D4, and you ask them, how are you getting on with the cigar? How's the start? And they say, it's a bit lighter than I thought. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's not, it, hasn't, it's not got, it hasn't got the body I was expecting. But that's because it's a much bigger cigar. <laughs> You know, allow it. That is part of the beauty of these large cigars, is they take a bit of time mm. to introduce themselves. And you get to know them, and then the build the build up in flavor starts, and that's one of the most uh, charming aspects of these long cigars for me is that they start one way and they finish another, and they take you on a on a, on a progressive. Um, I nearly said journey there, Omar, but I stopped myself. They, they, they take they take you um, through these different stages of development. Sure, sure. And and so what happens with the people that you know that may be more used to the D four. Go back to them after they've smoked half it. So how is it? Oh, it's it's warming up now. It's really good. Mm. It's the size and it's the size of a D four. You know, so actually they they're ah, recognizing the okay. flavors that they're expecting from the start, but actually you don't get that at the start of a long cigar. It takes time to get there. Sure. You know? and, and don't rush through that first bit. Enjoy that first bit. You know. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. And you know, I I, I have to say, Jimmy, truly, it's been it's been really, really like genuinely educational. Uh, to be able to have this conversation with you and I think take my first step into into some genuine cigar education you know actually understanding what a cigar is and probably a question I should have asked a little bit earlier but you know I, I live life with the phrase you know better late than never as far as I'm concerned uh, but uh, you know it's um, it's it, it truly truly has been you know super super delightful to be able to talk to you and I think I think for the next episode, I, I I'd love to be able to learn a bit more about the history of the of the cigar brands, you know, mm -hmm. uh, this kind of you know m mythical brand of Cohiba, um, you know, what's the background of them? The the uh, the history of Trinidad is is super super interesting, uh, from what I understand. So I think maybe for the next episode, if you'd be up for it, I'd love to be able to learn a bit more about that. Both of those brands have fantastic stories behind them. Um, but actually what you find is a lot of these brands do, because even though, I mean, Cohiba goes back to 1966, mm. Trinidad 1969, by our standards, they're very young brands. Absolutely. But Cohiba is 
Hebrew is a, a brand that stands alone, you know, in terms of its uh, its uh, reputation and its quality, and and it's and it's and it's um it's a fantastic. I mean. Let's save that for another podcast, though. Absolutely. We won't go into too much on that. But that's, uh, yeah, I'd be very happy to come back and talk about the history of brands. Amazing. Jimmy, honestly, thank you so, so much for your time. It's been truly, truly fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to doing it again. Thanks, Omar. Anytime. Mm.